Awesome, awesome. Good to see all of you here. I want to talk to you this morning about intimidation. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We don't have to be afraid of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the terror that strikes by night, nor of the pestilence that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at our side and ten thousand at our right hand, but it will not come near our dwelling. Thank you that in this season you have rebuked the devil and not given him the right to touch us. And so we have great confidence today. In Jesus' name, amen. Last night I preached at Ark Ministries in Berkeley as I do every Saturday night. As you all know, my wife and I are not only the pastors of Living Hope Christian Center, but of Ark Ministries in Berkeley. And uh, at the end of the service, as quite frequently we do on Saturday evenings after the service is over, we go to Berkeley to eat at the Asian Ghetto. Now, for those of you that don't know what the Asian Ghetto is, the Asian Ghetto is a little cul-de-sac of restaurants on Durant uh, where the Asians hang out. It's not all Asian restaurants. There's a Mexican place in there and an a Italian place in there and a Mediterranean place in there and a donut shop. But they call it the Asian Ghetto. So my wife and I go there, and the Ark being predominantly Asian, a lot of Arkites go to the Asian ghetto after Saturday night service. So my wife and I went there so we could hang out with some of the Arkers and get to know them. And, and uh, you know, it's a new church for us, and so we're, we're wanting to get to know people and build relationships, and it's a great time to do that. Uh, we got there, and we, we sat down with a couple, and we're sitting, and we're talking, and we're having a wonderful time, and, and we're sipping on our, our uh, uh, tapioca milk tea from quickly and uh, and as we're talking all of a sudden over to my right I heard what didn't pay any attention to it didn't have anything to do with me I kept talking all of a sudden what'd you say to me I keep talking had nothing to do with me and all of a sudden what did you call me Kept talking, didn't have anything to do with me. And then all of a sudden I heard crash and I looked over and the guy threw down his plate and he jumped up and he was looking right at me. And he goes, I heard what you said to me. I heard what you said to me. And I said, sir, I haven't said anything to you. Big old guy covered in tattoos from head to toe. And as I looked closely, he had satanic symbols tattooed on his body and a pentagram tattooed on the back of his right hand, even a tattoo across his forehead. He goes, I heard what you said to me. I heard what you called me. And I said, sir, I haven't said anything to you. I'm just enjoying my evening here. <laughs> he says, I'm going to punch you right in your face. I'm going to punch you right in your face. I was absolutely 100% certain that this man was about to hit me hard, fast, and often. And I'm thinking, what do I do in this situation? What do I do? Do I stand up and confront him? I knew it was demonic. I mean, the devil was talking right through this man. And then he goes, I hate you. I'm going to kill you punch you in your face. I'm going to kill you. Punch you in your face. 
And he was looking at me with sheer hatred. And I thought, this is the devil. I mean, this is the devil. This is the devil. And as I'm sitting, I'm thinking, my wife is here. This couple is here. I'm thinking, Lord, what is going to happen? Is this guy going to hit me? And I'm thinking, if he hits me, what do I do? Do I go buck wild? I was thinking, if he hits me, I'm hitting him back. I'm sorry. And then the best, the worst he could do was, and he punched his own hand. And I, I ain't going to lie, I flinched. And then all of a sudden, all of that hatred melted, and he went, I'm sorry, I'm being a jerk. You got two quarters I can borrow? And we said, no. And then he goes, you going to eat the rest of that food? I said, yes. I love Asian food. And he turned and walked away. I'm trying to get back to the conversation, but I'm sitting there thinking, I just got attacked by the devil. I mean, the devil just came and got right in my face. Now, I'm not talking about the man. I'm talking about the spirit that was speaking through the man. That man was full of the devil. I mean, it was demonic. And and then all of a sudden I thought about it. I said, wait, wait, wait. Why did the devil walk right up to me? I mean, in all of these people around here, all of these people, he walked right up to me. And I said to my wife, you know what that means? That means I'm in charge up in here. Here's the thought that hit me. When the devil tries to intimidate you, it's a clear sign that you're already reigning with Christ. The devil does not waste his time trying to intimidate someone who has no authority. The fact of the matter is, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have no clue who you are. You don't see the authority and the glory and the power that's on your life. And you know what? When we come to church, we have a glimpse of it. You know when the Holy Spirit comes on you? We love to facilitate those times in worship when we can begin to feel the power of God. When the anointing of the Spirit comes on you, you feel so powerful. There are times under the anointing when I feel like if the devil were to stand in front of me, I would tear him in half. But when I'm in the marketplace, I don't always feel that rushing mighty wind. You leave the church and you feel powerless. But actually, the power and glory has never diminished on your life. You're just as powerful and the devil sees it and that's why he tries to attack you. I thought, intimidation. That's all he had. Intimidation. I told somebody else that story this morning. They said, remember last Sunday you called the devil a punk. (laughs) you called him out all right acts chapter four we're gonna draw some parallels here acts chapter four let me give you a little background of what happens here in acts chapter three peter and john are going to the temple to pray and as they're entering the temple through the gate beautiful there's a man lame from his mother's womb a beggar who's asking them for money Peter stops and looks at the man and says, I don't have any silver. I don't have any gold, but I do have something for you. 
In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. The man jumps up, is completely healed. He walks, he jumps, he leaps, he runs, and he runs straight into the temple and begins to shout and glorify God. I mean, he's shouting, he's making a scene. Well, in the temple, there's thousands of people that had seen this man, and they'd seen him there for years, and they knew that he was lame. So all of the people gathered around Peter and John, looking at them with amazement and wonder. And Peter sees this crowd, and he begins to preach. He says, why do you look at us as if by our own power or godliness this man is made whole? God has glorified his son, Jesus Christ. You know what Peter was saying? Jesus was Lord before we stepped up, before we got here. Jesus was glorified before we got here. The healing of this man is simply a sign or a symbol or a testimony of the fact that God has glorified his son, Jesus Christ. The fact of the matter is that Jesus was Lord before you showed up this morning. He was Lord before you were born. He was Lord before there was any anointing on your life. Before you knew him, he was Lord. You don't make him Lord. We don't do him a favor when we accept him as Lord. We're simply acknowledging what was true before we acknowledged it. So Peter says, all this is, is a sign and a testimony of the fact that Jesus is already Lord. God has glorified his son, Jesus Christ. All we did was enforce his lordship in the earth. What God has called us as believers in Jesus Christ to be is enforcers of the lordship of Jesus Christ in the earth. That is, everywhere you go, things are going to stand in opposition to the lordship of Jesus Christ. But you and I are called to be enforcers of the lordship of Jesus Christ in the earth. In Matthew chapter 10 and in Luke chapter 10, Jesus calls his disciples to them and he gives them power over demons to cast them out, over sicknesses to heal them, and power to preach the kingdom of God. And he sends them out to go and enforce his lordship in the earth and they came back to him rejoicing saying lord even the demons are subject to us in your name and jesus rejoiced in spirit and said i saw satan fall like lightning from heaven amen so you and i have been given the authority to enforce the lordship of jesus christ in the earth and that means that we got to take it to the marketplace god never intended for us to build physical houses for him to dwell in god does not live in the four walls of this room he lives in his people. Amen. So Peter and John, this great miracle happens, and Peter preaches this sermon. And at the end of it, it says the number of disciples grew to 5,000 people. Now, there's already 3,000 on the day of Pentecost, two chapters earlier. Now there's 5,000 5, by the end of chapter 4. That's 1,250 people getting saved per chapter. Amen. Wake up. Say amen. Come on. I'm saying amen because you're not. Don't make the preacher say amen to his own sermon. Well, the chief priest, the scribes, the Pharisees, they're disturbed because Peter and John are preaching Jesus in the temple and they thought they had killed him. They thought that Jesus was over and done with. They crucified him. They saw him die on a cross. And now they're preaching him in the temple. And there's a man running around who was lame. So they went and they grabbed Peter and John. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. The fact of the matter is that if you and I are faithful to our witness to Jesus Christ, people are going to be disturbed. We should not be disturbed that people are disturbed that we preach Jesus. The fact of the matter is most believers in Jesus Christ love to be undercover brothers. 
We want to keep it a secret. I'm God's secret agent. Why? Because if folks find out what I really believe, they're going to be disturbed. And that's why we're not winning people to the faith. That's why nobody wants what we got. Because if it's so good, why do you hide it and keep it a secret? If it's a light, why do you put it under a bowl instead of putting it on its stand? It's time for us to learn how to put it on its stand and light the light so that it gives light to everyone in the house. They were greatly disturbed and they laid hands on them. Now, they didn't lay hands on them the way we lay hands in the service on Sunday morning. They laid hands on them the way my mama used to lay hands on us when I was... My mom used to say, boy, if you don't sit down and shut up, I'm going to come over there and lay hands on you suddenly. And when my mom would lay hands on us, we got healed. <laughs> we didn't talk the way we used to talk anymore. And put them in custody until the next day. That is, they put them in jail. They came and took them and put them in jail overnight. They had to spend the night in jail Verse 4, however, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. So Peter and John are looking at their ministry, and all they see is that they preach and then go to jail. Doesn't it seem like a failure? What they don't see is that they preached, and while they're on the way to jail, 2,000 people are believing and joining the church. You have no idea the power of your ministry. The power of your ministry is not in what you see. The power of your ministry is not in the result of what you do. A lot of you here have tried to share the gospel with people and it seems to come to nothing. You share the gospel with people and get in trouble with your job. You share the gospel with people and maybe even lose your job. And you feel like every time I try to share the gospel, everything goes wrong. You're only looking at the result of your ministry in the natural. But in the spirit, God is doing great and mighty things if you would just stand for him. You hearing me this morning? All right. Now, verse 5. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in their midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? So they gathered the council together. They pull Peter and John out of jail. They bring them and set them in front of the council. Now, understand this. All of these guys that were named Annas and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and the family of the high priest, number one, these are men of great renown. They're probably in their late 50s to early 60s, so they've been around for a while. They're reputed in the community as men of great wisdom. They are highly, highly educated men, and they have all striven to be, live lives in obedience to the law of God. And to keep it to the letter. They meditate on it day and night. These are righteous men. These are holy men. These are men of wisdom. These are educated men. And they were far more educated than Peter and John. Now, I don't know about you, but if I had to stand before a council of men that had as much wisdom and experience and education and reputation as these men did, I might be just a little bit intimidated. I remember uh, taking my comprehensive exams for my dissertation. I had to stand before three scholars, a Bible scholar, a theologian, and a church historian. And I was nearly urinating on myself. (laughs) I was very intimidated. These guys, I mean, Peter and John are standing before these guys. And they, they must be thinking, these guys forgot more than I ever knew. 
You know, oftentimes your testimony of Jesus will stand you before men that have far more wisdom and experience than you, far more education than you, far more even success in life than you. And you'll look at your own life and say, what do I have to show for my faith in Jesus Christ? What is my testimony? I mean, look at Peter and John. What is our testimony? The Lord we serve just got executed. What we're preaching, it hasn't even been proven true yet. What is our testimony? And these men, their lives, are, their, their lives are full of success. Often believers have an inferiority complex because I feel like I'm called to witness to people who are, not, who are far more successful than I am. And so they stand them in front of their council and they say, by what power or in what name did you do this? How, how did, here's the question. How did you do this? How did you do this? Do you know when the, the testimony of the church begins? When people begin to ask us, how did you do this? Instead of, why'd you do that? What'd you do that for? In other words, they were on trial for doing the works of Jesus, not for foolishness. In what name or by what power did you do this? Now listen, listen to Peter's response. First of all, then Peter... Filled with the Holy Spirit. He's standing before this council of men who have far more education, far more wisdom, far more experience, far more, uh, far more money. Far more success. And he says, I feel anointed. The Holy Spirit just came on me. When was the last time you were filled with the Holy Spirit in the marketplace? You know, it's easy to get filled with the Holy Spirit at church when Chinway's up there singing, you're an awesome God, you're all, and the band is playing out rails back there, beating the drums, Kevin's thumping on the bass, you know, and Gabe's over there massaging those keys and everybody's singing and sweat's pouring and, you know, man, the, the anointing is easy. It's easy to step into that flow and get filled with the Holy Spirit. You ever just, you ever just feel, I have moments in the midst of worship where I feel like if the devil stood in front of me, I'd tear him in half. But Peter is... Nowhere near the church. He's not in the four walls and he's not standing before a captive audience. You know, it's easy to preach at Living Hope. It's easy. You know, people want to preach here. You guys are an easy congregation to preach to. I have, I have friends who ask me, can I preach at your church? You guys say, amen. You guys look like you want to hear what I'm talking about. You know? You guys are excited. I'll preach and you guys come to me after the service and say, good word, pastor. Oh, that was right for me. Somebody said to me at the end of first service today, pastor, next time you preach, can it not be so much about me? <laughs> I mean, man, do you have to preach to me every Sunday? Do you have to tell me everything that's going on in my life? Do you have to bust me out like that in front of everybody? Everybody knows you're talking about me. And he went on and on and on. Oh, yeah, that that builds a brother up. You know, a brother feels good after preaching that living hope. You know why? Because you all want to be here. If not, you wouldn't have came. Except you teenagers. And I'm not tripping off y'all because you're going to like it. <laughs> you're going to like it. Amen. But can you stand in front of a group of hostile people who want to kill you and get anointed? Get filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, and this is the qualification. 
Because what he said flowed out of his being filled with the Spirit rather than his sense of obligation. I guess I better say something here. I think I need to say something. Yeah, I'm in a public place and should I preach? The pastor said at church I need to preach. It didn't come out of a sense of obligation and it didn't come out of fear. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. The anointing came on him in the marketplace and he stood up before a hostile crowd. He said, I feel more anointed than I ever have before in my life. I feel more filled with the Holy Spirit now than I ever have before in my life. And he said, now listen to what he says, rulers of the people and elders of Israel. He starts by respecting them. The anointing comes on him, but he does, the anointing doesn't come on him to disrespect the people he's talking to. Oftentimes, believers in Jesus Christ claim it's the anointing, but everything we say is an offense to the people we're talking to. The anointing is not the means by which we offend unbelievers and drive them away. It's the means by which we draw them close. He starts by respecting them. Paul did it to King Agrippa. You see all these uh, Christian comments about Steve Jobs on Facebook. Drives me crazy. Believers berating Steve Jobs. Saying negative things about Steve Jobs after his death. It drives me crazy. I saw one comment on a page where a believer wrote on somebody else's page. Somebody else, a believer wrote, uh, you know, we miss Steve Jobs, and, and, but, uh, you know, he left a legacy. What kind of legacy will we leave behind? And a well-meaning believer wrote on this person's page underneath, what legacy? He ain't got no legacy. He didn't know Jesus. I don't want his legacy. No Jesus. That's the legacy. And I wanted to ask her, do you think this person's unbelieving friends who saw your comment feel closer to Jesus after reading your comment or further away? Oh, because you're right. It's okay to drive all unbelievers away. We tend to use holiness and righteousness and doctrine and rightness as a means of criticizing. And we're constantly articulating what we're against rather than what we're for. Peter and John were not appearing before the Sanhedrin to push some political agenda. To point the finger and say, you're wrong for this and you're wrong for that and you guys shouldn't be doing this. We've got to hold up the standard of righteousness. No, they were there to stand for Jesus, not against what the world was doing. You're hearing me today. He started by respecting the people he was talking to. Without intimidation. He wasn't respecting them out of fear. But the Holy Spirit brought the wisdom to know that when I speak to these people about Jesus, I'm going to speak respectfully to them rather than offensively to them. Are you hearing me? Now, verse 9, he starts with respect, but then he flips it real quick. He points out the ridiculousity of the whole trial. Yes, ridiculousity. If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man. You see that? Well, since you're on, you put us on trial and arrested us and put us in jail 
for helping someone who couldn't help himself. (laughs) Let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. They respected the people they were speaking to, but did not compromise the message. If believers could learn how to do this, we'd turn the world upside down. Learn how to respect the people that we're talking to without compromising what we believe in. Without watering down so that after I'm done talking to anyone about the gospel, they feel I respect them, but I will not compromise what I believe in. This is truth. You know what? If you and I are not convinced of the truth of what we believe, nobody else will be. He says it's by the name of Jesus. And they knew that this was the offensive aspect of the message. It's by the name of Jesus that this man was healed. And by the way, the fact that he was healed physically is simply a sign that there's no other name by which we must be saved but by the name of Jesus. His name is the only name, and Jesus is the only way of salvation. They knew that that last part was going to be particularly offensive to the people they were speaking to. While we do not set out to offend people, at the end of the day, the message of the gospel is offensive. Why is it offensive? Because what Peter was saying to this group of people was, all of your righteousness is nothing. And all that you've done to obtain salvation amounts to nothing. All of your keeping the law and trying to be obedient to God by your own power amounts to nothing. These guys had all memorized the Bible backward and forward, and Peter said it means nothing. All of your going to church and giving your tithes and giving your offerings, at the end of the day, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, it means nothing. Because going to church won't get you to heaven, and tithing won't get you to heaven, and memorizing Scripture won't get you to heaven and singing songs won't get you to heaven only jesus can get you to heaven amen it's a message that we just cannot water down then he quotes scripture to them this is the stone which was rejected by you builders which has become the chief cornerstone, nor is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Verse 13, and here's the key. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, look at your neighbor and say boldness. Boldness. The word boldness in the, in the Greek is parecia. Parecia. Say parecia. Parecia. When they saw the parecia of Peter and John, the boldness, the word means forthrightness, frankness. It is an unapologetic stance. It is the opposite of caution. Remember when Shadrach, Meshach, and a bad negro, a, a, a black negro, a, a bed negro. Lord, forgive me. Remember when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood before Nebuchadnezzar? And he asked them, why did you not bow down to my statue? And what did they say? King, we don't have to be careful about the way we respond to you in this matter. Let it be known to you that we're just not bowing down to your idol. You can kill us if you want. Throw us in the fire. 
our God can deliver us from the fire. But even if he doesn't and he lets us burn, then we'll burn. But we're just not bowing down to your idol. That's paresia. That's frankness. That's boldness. Paresia, but it's an appropriate boldness, not a boldness that comes from hate, uh, haste or hot-headedness. It's an appropriate boldness, not a ridiculous boldness, not an, and not a purposefully offensive boldness. You know, there's a member of this church. He's not here today, um, but he, he, he was telling us about how when he first got saved, he was on a bad acid trip. And uh, he decided to walk into a Mexican restaurant and scream, Jesus is Lord. And he told his buddy, he said, and he was high. He said, I'm going to walk in this Mexican restaurant and I'm going to say, Jesus is Lord. And if anybody even looks at me, I'm going to whoop them for Jesus. And he said, I walked into that Mexican restaurant and I went, Jesus is Lord. He said, and nobody even looked at me. I went and left. He said, I'm so glad nobody looked at me because I really would have whooped him. He hadn't learned wisdom yet. He was high on drugs, not the Holy Ghost. The moral to the story is if you're a Christian, stop doing drugs. I should preach a message on why Christians should not do drugs. See, he was bold, but it wasn't an appropriate boldness. It wasn't a spirit-filled boldness. Paresia is, is, boldness in the New Testament is not a psychological term. It's not an emotion. It's a theological term. It's something only the Holy Spirit can give you. It's not something that you can muster up. Let me just get the courage to do this. It's not like jumping off of a rock into the water like my wife talked about last week. Just got to get the courage to do this. And there's a place and a time for courage. We need that too. But boldness is something different. It's something more. It's when the Holy Spirit comes on you and anoints you to know what to say, how to say it, when to say it, and gives you the boldness to say it, and you stand up, you speak it, and you sit down knowing that you did exactly what needed to be done, how it needed to be done, and you're finished. You ever find yourself after a situation going, ooh, I should have said this, or I wish I would have said that, or ooh, what am I supposed to say here? You find yourself in the midst of a situation, what do I say to the guy? I was sitting there last night thinking, what do I do? Do I get up and punch him before he punches me? Or do I sit here and let him punch me? Do I stand up and command it to come out of him in the name of Jesus? You know, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? You find yourself in those situations, but Peter in this situation was full of the Holy Spirit, so there wasn't a what do I do in his mind. It was, I know exactly what to do, and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to sit down. When boldness comes over you, you stand up, you speak up, you shut up, and you go home saying, I did it, I said it. There's nothing else that I should have said. There's nothing else that I should have done. I did it exactly the way the Lord wanted me to do it, and I had the exact right outcome that the, the Lord wanted me to. Listen, we need an outpouring of boldness in our midst that comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if there's anything we need to be seeking God for and asking God for and, and crying out to God for is boldness. They saw the boldness of Peter and John. They said, look at these kids. They were probably about 18 or 19 years old. And they're standing up to these men who are in their late 50s, early 60s. 
and speaking boldly. It says they saw the boldness of Peter and John. And look at this. And they realized uh, and they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. The word in the Greek is idiotes. They perceived that they were idiotes. That's where we get the term idiots from. Notice it doesn't say ignorantes. It says idiotes. <laughs> they perceived that there was nothing in the natural to account for their ability to know what to do. It wasn't in their schooling. It wasn't in their experience. It wasn't in their education. It wasn't in their status. It wasn't in their position. It wasn't in their authority. It says, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. It was simply from the fact that they had been with Jesus. They saw the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated. We are entering into a season in which God is, is raising up the weak things of this world to confound the strong. Amen. Verse 14. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go outside of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? You see that? In front of the men, they were going, You guys be quiet. We're going to kill you. And then they sent him outside the room and said, What can we do to them? What the enemy says to your face is not the same thing that he says behind your back. Everything that you think is a threat, that you think is threatening to overtake you and destroy you, the devil speaks to you all the time, says, I'm going to destroy you, I'm going to destroy your marriage, I'm going to destroy your family, I'm going to destroy your kids, I'm going to kill your finances, I'm going to destroy your business. But behind your back, the devil's saying, what can we do to him? He's covered, he's covered in the blood of Jesus. What, what can I do? I can't, I can't touch but before your face, I'm going to kill you. I hate you. I'll punch you in your face. You ever get a word from the devil? A word from Satan? Have you ever been afraid? You ever been afraid? You just got a word from the devil. Fear is always a response to a satanic word. You know what fear is? Fear is prophetic suffering. It is the power to suffer now that which does not yet exist. By fear, you call those things which are not as though they were. And you are empowered to enter into future suffering that may or may not even be a reality. I remember I was in the hospital visiting my great aunt and she was about 97 years old and she was about to get a shot. And I was just looking at her face. I thought they were sticking her. And she was going, oh, 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 oh. And I grabbed her hand. I said, Annie Joe, does it hurt? Does it hurt? She goes, no, they haven't stuck me yet. I'm just anticipating. 
You see believers walking around like that. Oh, 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 what's wrong, brother? I think I may lose my job. But they haven't stuck you yet. You're just anticipating. See sisters walking around going, oh, 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 what's wrong, sister? I don't think the Lord will ever give me a husband. You're just you're speaking it into existence. I had a friend who claimed all kind of diseases and illnesses. Get a little headache. Oh, Lord, I got a brain tumor. I know it's a tumor. A little indigestion. Oh, heart attack. Oh, oh, defibrillate. She was naming it and claiming it. There's a lot of word of faith Christians. Just in the opposite direction. Fear. It's prophetic. What shall we do to these men? For indeed, a notable miracle has been done through them, and that's evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. You know, when the church of Jesus Christ rises up and begins to walk in works, that no one can refute. And so we're not going to tell them that we actually believe in what they did. We're not going to tell them that we see it and we can't refute it. We're not going to, you know, the devil will never tell you who you are. If you don't know, if you can't hear it from God, the devil will never tell you, you know, I, I actually see that you have so much authority that I can't touch you. Just thought I'd tell you that the devil will never tell you. He sees who you are, but if you don't, he will treat you like you are nothing. If he can convince you that he can destroy you, he will. So they called them in and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. They knew that they could do nothing to them, so all they did was they tried to pretend that they had authority over them. They called them in and commanded them to not ever again preach or teach in the name of Jesus. We're commanding you. That's all they could do. Let's just try to put a Jedi mind trick on them. Verse 19. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. This is what Peter and John were saying. We've heard from God, and now we're hearing from you. And what you and God are saying are in opposition to one another. So you tell me which one I should listen to. You or God. If I'm listening to you, I'm going to be greatly afraid and stop what I'm doing. If I'm listening to God, I'm going to have great boldness and go full speed ahead. So you tell me, give me some advice here, some counsel. If you think you're greater than God, let me know right now. And then he says, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And there's the key, seeing and hearing. It says, we've seen and heard. And that's what John says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have seen 
which we have heard, which our hands have handled. That life that was from the beginning, that life was manifested, and we have seen and heard and declare to you. We're declaring to you what we have seen and heard. When you go into your prayer closet until you begin to see Jesus and hear from him, you will come out with boldness. And the greatest obstacle, one of the greatest obstacles that the devil puts in your path is he lies to you and tells you you can't hear from God. You can pray to your blue in the face. God won't speak to you. I'm telling you by the word of the Lord that if you seek him, you will find him when you search for him with all of your heart. I'm telling you that if you call upon him, he will show you great and mighty things that you, which you do not know. I'm telling you that you are not lost, that you are not stuck, that God will come and give you clarity and he'll give you boldness if you seek his face. Verse 21. So when they had further threatened them, That's all they could do. Threaten. When they had further threatened them, they let them go. (laughs) At the end of the day, the devil's just got to let you go. At the end of the day, he can't even put a hand on you. At the end of the day, he can't touch you. You know, it's funny. After the situation last night, I said to my wife, I said, I really thought he was going to punch me in my face. And you know what? Many believers have been punched in the face for preaching the gospel. There's there's a member of our church, a, a guy who goes to our church, who was on the street preaching the gospel, and somebody punched him in his face as hard as he could. We had a guy get shot recently for preaching the gospel in the ghetto. I mean, you can die for preaching Jesus, and so it's not, you know, it's not, uh, it's not uh, unreasonable to think that the guy could have punched me in my face. I mean, he could have punched me in my face, but he couldn't touch me. And I said to my wife, the best he could do is punch himself in the hand. Take that. That'll show you. We're in a season in which the devil has no power except the power of intimidation. He can't do anything to you except intimidate you. Threaten you. I'm gonna. He's constantly inhaling and exhaling threats and murder. He's promising to kill you, to destroy your life, to destroy your family, to destroy your finances, and to destroy your future. You and I have to make a decision to turn a deaf ear to the threats of the enemy. Peter and John weren't even shaken. It says they let them go. Now watch this. Now they go back to the church. It says in being let go. They went back to their companions and reported all that the chief priests and scribes had said. And when they heard this, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. They prayed. They had a prayer meeting. Now, had something like that happened to me, we would have a prayer meeting, all right? I got thrown in prison and was there overnight. They threatened to kill me. And then they let me go. We'd have a prayer meeting. Oh, Lord, help us, help us. Everything's falling apart. I'd say, my wife and I are going on a little vacation, church. Pray our strength in the Lord. We need to go recoup. It's been a tough season. We need to go recuperate in Maui. Can I get a witness? But Peter and John, they go back and they have a prayer meeting. And this is what they pray. Oh, Lord, maker of heaven and earth and the sea and all that's in them. Who by the mouth of your servant David has said, Why do the nations rage and the peoples imagine a vain thing? 
The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers are gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ, surely against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate have gathered together to do whatever you have predetermined that they should do. Then he says this, And now, Lord, behold their threats, and grant to your servants some time off to recuperate from this trial. No. And now, Lord, behold their threats and grant to your servants a new strategy so that we no longer offend people by using the name Jesus. Grant to your servants the wisdom to refer to you as, the, as their heavenly parent or their many-named creator. Grant to your servants a new theology that is more inclusive of world religions. Grant to your servants a new postmodern methodology that is non-offensive, that takes out things like the lordship of Christ, his resurrection from the dead, salvation in his name alone, eternal judgment. Those things that are offensive to our culture, give us wisdom to stay away from them so that we encounter no more threats because that's really what you want is for us to have a nice time without stirring up any trouble in the world. They said, grant to your servants boldness. There's that word again, paresia. Grant to your servants boldness, the ability to stand even in the midst of intimidation and get filled with the Holy Spirit and know what the Lord wants me to say. Boldness to proclaim your word by stretching forth your hand to heal. Which is what got us in trouble in the first place. See, if I pray for somebody and they get healed, I get a bigger offering. That's a joke. You're supposed to laugh at that. <laughs> they laughed at it at first service. I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't have to tell them, okay, laugh now. <laughs> I prayed for a guy in, in, in Korea who was lame, and he walked, and he ran, and he jumped. He got completely healed, and I, they went crazy. I, they put it all up over Facebook and YouTube and, and Twitter, and, and I became famous in that region because of that. I got a bigger offering at the end of the thing. Peter and John get a guy healed, and they go to jail. Now, when you're making money on miracles, you're going to be praying for more miracles. Say, <laughs> so if I do five more healings, I'm going to get a bigger house. But are you praying for miracles when they're getting you thrown in jail? Lord, do more miracles. I don't care if I die for it. Do more miracles. Give us boldness. Give us boldness to stand even in the face of death and say we're not going to compromise. Give us the boldness to get up in the face of the devil and say you don't intimidate me. You don't scare me. fact of the matter is, if the devil's trying to intimidate you, it's a sure sign that you've already begun to reign with Christ. If the devil's trying to intimidate you, it doesn't mean you're defeated. It means you've only just begun to be victorious. The devil doesn't waste his time trying to intimidate people who have no authority. It means you have great authority. You may not see it yet. But my prayer is that God would give you the eyes of revelation to see how powerful you are in the Spirit.
how anointed you are, how much authority you have, and how much of God's glory rests upon your life. Let's pray.